the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you have bothered to speak to us, even though we are so often deaf, both by accident and design. And Father, we pray now that you would take your word and apply it to our lives, that we might hear and understand, that we might take it away and change our lives and change our world as a result. Father, we ask all of this that you might be glorified. Amen. Here's my advice. If you want advice, you should go to the airport. In the airport, in every airport, it seems to me, there's a bookshop for people to spend that hour or two hours that they have to do nothing between flights. And in that bookshop, there's always a big section that's given over to advice. There's a book by Donald Trump giving you advice on your finances and why you shouldn't be satisfied with that three-bedroom semi-detached house. There's advice from Tiger Woods, how to improve your golf swing. I don't have a golf swing, but if I had one, the book would do me good. There's advice from Alan Titchmarsh on how to grow your geraniums. So if you want advice, the airport, I think, is the best place to go. There's plenty of advice. One thing I'd say, if you want advice, don't read Mark's Gospel. I had another read through it on the plane back over, and I think there's no advice in Mark's Gospel at all. I don't think he gives a word of advice. So what is in Mark's Gospel? Well, this first verse of the book gives us a good clue. Mark's not interested in good advice. He's interested in good news. It's good news that he is wanting to tell. The first sentence, the first verse of this book is rather unusual. In fact, I'm not sure are there any English teachers here. Normally Fitzroy has an English teacher or two lurking somewhere. It's not actually a sentence at all, although in my Bible it does have a capital letter and a full stop. It isn't technically a sentence. And it's really a, a title, or it's actually almost a summary of what Mark's going to tell us in the whole book. The beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There are three things I want to look at, first of all, about this good news, this gospel. What is the good news that Mark's going to tell us? Well, really that question is the who is the good news? Now, if you have that verse clearly in your memory, bring it to the forefront again. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's clear there. What's this good news about? It's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In fact, if you go through Mark's gospel, virtually every verse has got a direct reference. It's about Jesus, or it uses one of the prepositions, him, he, his, or it's some of his words. The entire thing is about Jesus Christ. And I think that's the first thing we have to notice. This good news 
is about a person, a man, Jesus Christ. If you take Jesus away from the good news, there's nothing left. It's not just some good advice that you can apply to make your life better. If you take Jesus out of the gospel, there's nothing left to it. He is the good news. So what does it tell us about Jesus? Well, first of all, it tells us his name is Jesus. Jesus was, I think I understand, a relatively common, ordinary name for people at that time in that place. Jesus. Mark goes on and, and goes to some lengths in his book as well to add Jesus of Nazareth. I think if you look down in verse 9, it says, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Nazareth was not a place you wanted to come from. Um, at an event in South Africa, the, the, some aid had been given by the Irish government, and so the Irish ambassador came along, and I think I was probably the only Irish person in the audience, and I chatted to him. And I said, well, actually, I was born in Straban. And he looked at me askance, and he said, does anything good come from Straban? And, well, I put him right on that straight away, but yes, everything good has come from Straban. It didn't stay there. No, Nazareth was if I may dare say, a bit like Straban. It wasn't the place that people immediately associated. It was a despised place. It was a nowhere place. And of all the hundreds of places mentioned in the Old Testament, I understand Nazareth didn't get a mention even once. All those places you've read in the Old Testament, there's not a single mention of Nazareth. Desi can check that out later for me. But it was a despised place, it was an ordinary place, but Mark goes to some lengths to remind us several times through the book, that's where Jesus came from. You see, he was an ordinary man living in an ordinary situation. He didn't come down as somebody very special and sort of float 40 meters above the earth and not get involved in it all. No, Jesus came down to the real situation of people's lives. That's what the incarnation means. It's God not just getting involved, but actually coming down to be one of us living with, I've spotted an English teacher over there, yes. Uh, came down to live with us and be with, amongst us. So that's the first thing Mark tells us, I'd like to say, about this person. It's Jesus, the man from Nazareth, the very ordinary, the not very exciting place called Nazareth. Well, if Jesus is ordinary, the next word is extraordinary. It doesn't seem so extraordinary to us, I think, because we almost treat it like his surname, Jesus Christ, Alan Gaston, you know. It's just like it's another name. But it wasn't another name at all. In fact, it was probably a fairly scandalous thing to say that this person who came from Nazareth was the Christ, the promised one, the anointed one from way, way back. The Israeli people had been waiting for this person, not for generations, but for centuries. And Mark says to us, this man is the Christ, 
God's promised Messiah, the one who was to come. Well, of course, anybody who was anything, anybody and knew anything knew that the Messiah didn't come from Nazareth. And we get that through the Gospels. The people in the know said, well, he's clearly he's not anybody special because somebody special isn't supposed to come from Nazareth. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. Well, you see, they knew a little bit, but they didn't know it all. They didn't know he had been born in Bethlehem. No, Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Savior of the world. He had come to be an ordinary man, yes, to be Jesus of Nazareth, but he had come because he was the Christ, the promised one who was going to save the world. Now, nobody thought of that combination before we started writing the New Testament, that this man would be the Savior. He didn't come as many religious people come, and maybe as many of us come to our world. He didn't come to condemn the world. John 3.16, John 3.17, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. There was no need for Christ to come and condemn the world. There were lots of people condemning the world already and saying all the wrong things that people were doing. Oh, sometimes I think we come into our world and we bring condemnation. We like to point out to people that what they're doing is wrong. And sometimes in our situation in South Africa, there are a lot of things that are obviously wrong to us Westerners who are a bit superior, and we like to point out how wrong they are. We like to condemn the world. But Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came that they might be saved. And that's his whole purpose of coming, it is not just to be Jesus, but to be the Christ, the Savior of the world. And thirdly, Mark says he's not just Jesus, he's not just the Christ, he is the Son of God. Now, some scholars wonder if this little phrase should actually be in verse 1. Some of the older manuscripts don't have the Son of God uh, in this verse. And I think in the Christian world as well, there's a, there's a tendency in some circles to say, maybe we'll drop the Son of God bit. It's a, it's a sort of supernatural thing and we don't like the sound of it. Mr. Richard Dawkins doesn't like the sound of it. He thinks it's so much mumbo jumbo. Let's try and drop it. But in Mark's gospel, if it's not in verse one, you have a problem, it's everywhere else through Mark's gospel. If you look down in verse uh, uh, verse 11, a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. That's after the baptism of Jesus. A voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son. And that is one of the few things that is reported in all four gospels. So Jesus, the son of God, is not an optional extra that we might choose. The world we live in may not like to accept that there was a man who was God. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just an exceptional man. No, Mark makes it very clear to us he is God. Now, he's Jesus, the ordinary man from Nazareth. He's the Christ, the special one, the anointed one, the one that God has brought into the world to save the world. 
And he is also, at the same time, he's the Son of God. He is God. Now, I struggle with that. I don't understand it. And I hope you struggle with it as well, because I don't think you can understand it. And if you think you understand it, as somebody once said, you don't know the problem. We can't understand it, but Scripture makes it clear that it is true. He is divine. He is the Son of God. We have to hold all three of those together. Otherwise, we're not going to have the good news. We're only at most going to have good advice for the world that we live in. So what does good news mean? Well, gospel is, is a sort of religious word. I think probably most of us would think of it as a religious world and, and maybe an old-fashioned religious word at that. You'd talk about gospel hymns, gospel meetings, gospel halls, that sort of thing. And in the world we live in, gospel is a type of music. It's very, very popular in Southern Africa, gospel music. So it seems like this sort of religious-orientated word. Well, up until they started talking in the New Testament, it wasn't a religious word at all. It was a political word. It was a Greek word which was the good news when one person, uh, one government changed and was taken over by another government, normally following a battle. Following a battle, there would be the good news of the victor winning. Well, it wasn't always good news, but that was it. And the whole emphasis of it was it's all going to change. It's going to be a different world. That's what it meant. It's not just something to do with our religion. It's to do with every aspect of our life. Yes, it's a word that we use about our relationship with God and how God has come to save us, but it's also a word that deals with our world that we live in, the politics of the world we live in, the way we treat the world that we live in. Everything is involved in this term of good news or gospel. You see, he's telling us the good news about a new king and a new kingdom. That's what Jesus has to say down in verse 15. Jesus comes saying, the time is fulfilled, it's here, the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a new king in the world, and there's a new kingdom that has come into our midst. Repent and believe in the gospel. The good, good news, the gospel impacts everything about us. Something which I was taught in childhood, which we are teaching our little children, is the word joy. I don't know if you've heard it. It's a very simple acronym, if that's the right word. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. And we've sort of tried to teach the children that. I, I think a lot of us, a lot of the time, go through, through life not with joy, but with a lot of yodge. Yourself first... Jesus last with what's left over and others in between. The good news is that we go through life with joy. We're looking for other people before ourselves. And we're looking for other people because Jesus is the one that our first allegiance goes to. So it's going to affect how we go through life and how we treat other people and our relationships with other people that good news. It's going, to, it's going to change our attitude to our possessions. 
When we first went to South Africa, it was a, a couple, Mike and Meg, who freak, uh, friend, befriended us several times, invited us into their home. Well, I was a bit shocked at their home, to be honest, coming from a good Northern Ireland background. First of all, it was a bit untidy. Well, it turned out that it was untidy because they were looking after possessions for a friend, some of their furniture and stuff they'd taken in while this friend was doing something or other. So that was why the place was a bit untidy. And the sofa was actually quite worn and the chairs were quite worn and there was the odd coffee stain, more than the odd, there was quite a lot of coffee stains. And it generally wasn't up, you know, up to scratch. But as I got to know Mike and Meg, I, I, I realized an important lesson they weren't actually all that interested in what the sofa looked like. That was not their first interest in life. They were actually interested in the people who were sitting on the sofa. Now, that was a shock to me coming from my background, that things had to be perfect and nice. No, their primary interest was who was sitting on their sofa and what was happening to them. And since then, I've come to know that there's there's lots of people in Maritzburg who have become Christians because they sat on Mike and Meg's sofa. You see, it had a, a lasting impact. They were interested in them, they were praying for them, they were befriending them, that they would come to know the Lord Jesus. And the sofa was only something there for them to sit on. It wasn't their main goal in life. And you know, I have a funny feeling that when they get to glory, they will meet some of those people who became Christians sitting on their sofa. And the sofa won't be there anymore. My nice sofa at home won't be there either. It's not worth investing my time and my effort in. So this good news is something which says that our possessions are secondary. They're not the most important thing that we have in the world. So we bought a really nice sofa when we were here and, and I was earning money. And um, we, we bought it out of Rankins and we'll get Victoria Street. And it now sits, I just noticed it the other day, it's sitting in our playroom and the children hide behind it and they pull the cushions off and they make a roof over it and little houses and they bounce all over it. And it, to be honest, it's a shadow of its former self. And um, we kept it good for quite a number of years, but it's really not that good now. And that's what the good news starts to do. It starts to transform our attitude towards our possessions. It also changes our passions in life. It changes the things that we're really interested in. I'm not saying you, you have to stop supporting Ireland playing rugby or in my context support the Springboks playing rugby. I'm not saying you have to give those things up and stop them, but the priorities are changing. The passions that we have change. Uh, when we were back here at Christmas last year, I was up near the North Coast and there was a church meeting. I got chatting to this guy afterwards. I never met him in my life before. I'd never heard of him. Didn't know his name or anything. But I was chatting in a friendly fashion, as I do. And this guy kept talking and he knew all about this little boy, Henry, you saw reading the book. He knew about him. He said, we were, we were worried about Henry and something had happened and we'd mentioned it in one of our prayer letters some time ago. And, and he said, I was glad to hear about Henry and he'd say another story. And the whole conversation was about Henry and gradually it dawned on me. I said, I thought, this guy, I don't know who he is and he knows all about Henry. 
Well, you see, it was something that I hadn't understood and hadn't realized, that the Lord, as, as, to quote this man, he said, the Lord has put Henry on my heart. So this man, Joe, knew all about Henry. If he heard anything about Henry, he remembered it. He took it away and he prayed about it. And he prays every day for Henry. I don't think Joe is, I'm pretty sure he's never been to Africa. I don't know if he's been outside the UK. But he knows little Henry and has a real passion for little Henry. You see, God changes our passions and turns things round because of the good news. It changes it away from one thing and, and may pick up something quite peculiar, like Joe's interest in Henry. And that's something we have to be open to in our lives, is for God to take our passions and change them. And things maybe that once upon a time we thought were really, really important, after a while we think, well, maybe they're not really important anymore. They're still important. And to manipulate around and change what are your passions, the good news will have that impact on you. So it's the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's a good news that affects every aspect of our life. Thirdly, when is this good news real and active? Mark uses a very strange word here. It's a word that harks back to Genesis, um, but he uses it in a different way. The beginning of the gospel. Here's the title for his book that he's writing, and he calls it The Beginning. The Beginning of the Good News. Now, he's not saying this is the beginning when it's the beginning. I mean, you wouldn't say the beginning, the first sentence is the beginning of this book. That would be a silly thing to say. No, he's saying the book is the beginning. It's only the beginning. The gospel doesn't end. The good news doesn't come to an end at the end when Jesus is crucified and rises again. The gospel, the good news is carrying on. It carries on through the acts of the apostles as the apostles go out into the world. It carries on through generations as the good news is spreading out and it reaches out to more countries, more people, more lands. It's rolling forward. And the truth of the matter is the good news is continuing into your family, into your school, into your workplace, into Tesco's, into your friendships, if you are taking it into those places. The good news is not something frozen in stone that ended 2,000 years ago and we're always looking back to it. No, God is working out his good news. Um, Paul described himself as a co-laborer working with God and bringing the good news. And we are his co-laborers taking the good news forward into the world. And it doesn't matter whether it's our world in Edendale Hospital a long way away or it's your world in Tesco supermarket tomorrow morning. Are you taking the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ into that world? And I would suggest again two things for you. For you to take the good news forward, first of all, you have to take Jesus 
Christ, the Son of God, with you. You have to take that into your world. So very often, I, I, I don't blow our trumpet here, but very often people ask us you know, what we're doing in South Africa and we tell them. And then there's a question that comes or it's hanging in the air, which is very much, well, why do you do it? And it struck us, you know, we could just do it because we're nice people and we could say that to people. Would not in so many words, obviously, we'd be more subtle. And people would think how wonderful Alan and Sheena Gaston are. And that's awfully tempting at times to get that sort of praise and that sort of things. But when people say, why are you doing this? We have the responsibility to say, as Paul said, no, I don't have a choice. The, Paul said, the love of God constrains me to do this. Why is it that you're being nice in Tesco's? It's the love of God that constrains you. It's not just that Hilary Dalton is a nice person and that's why she lets somebody in the queue in front. No, the love of God constrains us to do these things. Not only does it constrain us, but it enables us. You remember the difference between going round the world with joy and going round the world with George? The only reason we are able to do that is because Christ gives us the strength and the power to do it. So it's only as we do what he wants that we can take the good news into the world. He is the one who enables us and he is the one who actually is the good news. So as you go forward into the rest of Sunday and the rest of the week, what are you going forward with? What am I going forward with? Am I going forward with the good news that changes my life and that I tell other people about so that it will change their life? Or am I going forward with a little bit more religious knowledge, a little bit more of a religious habit, and nobody's really interested in those in our modern world? What are we going to do? So, to come back to the title, good news or good advice? Are you giving good advice to your friends? Are you bringing them the good news? What are you building your life on? Are you building it on good advice that you hear from various people, some of them in church, some of them not? Or are you building your life on the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? What are you telling the world about? What am I telling the world about through our work in South Africa and the way I live my life? Am I telling the world about a religious thing that's good advice and well it works and it makes life pleasant and we enjoy it? Or am I telling the world about the good news of Jesus Christ? You see, Mark gave us the summary of his book and I, I hope that this gets etched in your mind at least for the next seven days. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thank you.